sign advertising the four pups and set about nailing it to a post on the edge of his yard. And as he's driving the last nail into the post, he fell a tug on his overalls and he looked down into the eyes of a little boy. Mister, he said, I want to buy one of your puppies. Well, said the farmer as he rubbed the sweat off the back of his neck, these puppies come from fine parents and they cost a good deal of money. The boy dropped his head for a moment, and then reaching deep into his pocket, he pulled out a handful of change and held it up to the farmer. I've got 39 cents. Is that enough to take a look? Sure, said the farmer, and with that he let out a whistle. Here, Dolly, he called, and out from the doghouse and down the ramp ran Dolly, followed by four little balls of fur. The little boy pressed his face against the chain-link fence. His eyes danced with delight. As the dogs made their way to the fence, the little boy noticed something else stirring inside the doghouse. Slowly, another little ball appeared, this one noticeably smaller, and down the ramp it slid. (laughs) Then, in a somewhat awkward manner, the little pup began hobbling toward the others, doing its best to catch them. I want that one, the little boy said, pointing to the runt. The farmer knelt down at the boy's side and said, son, you don't want that puppy. You'll never be able to run and play with you like these other dogs would. And with that, the little boy stepped back from the fence, reached down, and began rolling up one leg of his trousers. In doing so, he revealed a steel brace running down both sides of his leg, attaching itself to a specially made shoe. Looking back at the farmer, he said, You see, sir, I don't run too well myself, and he will need someone who understands. With tears in his eyes, the farmer reached down and picked up the little pup, holding it carefully, handed it to the little boy. How much? asked the little boy. No charge, answered the farmer. There's no charge for love. I don't know if you've noticed it yet. This world is full of people who need somebody who understands. This world has all the critics it can handle and more, all the judges it can take, but it needs someone to deal with people who just plain need to understand. People who can and people who will communicate. Now, I was thinking about communication and and great communication. Of course, every time I think of that, there's always comes the subject of married couples, and I love this one. When a wife asks her husband, Honey, could you please go shopping for me? Could you just run down to the store and buy a carton of milk? And oh, if they have avocados, get six. So a short time later, the husband comes back with six cartons of milk. (laughs) And the wife asks him, Why did you buy six cartons of milk? And he replied, They had avocados. Now, if you're a woman, I'm sure you get this. The men have been a little slow this morning already. And men, you might get it first time. You might have to have her explain it in a day or two. I want to segue to the serious side this morning. I'm in a series on the themes of the book of Revelation. It's not, as I said uh, now two or three times, it's not an exegetical study of chapter and verse and verse by verse. 
page by page, but it's the themes of the book of Revelation. Many people are unaware of what the book of Revelation is all about. I still have people coming out and say, you know what, I think I need to read Revelations again, which tells me they don't know too much about the book because they don't even know what it's called. They're not Revelations, it's Revelation. John the Divine was given one revelation all about how it will end, how it will be consummated, how God will handle this earth and all of his creation. And so I thought what we'd do is just take a look at the back of the book. In other words, get the themes that are dominant and that are prominent and that are in vogue today because people are talking a lot about this subject. The first message was about God's humility. We mostly centered that in Revelation chapter 5. The second message was God's patience and judgment. Thank God for his patience. Thank God for his patience. You're here, aren't you? Chapter 6, chapter 8, and chapter 16, worthy of your reading. And then the last message, temporary persecution to ultimate victory, chapter 12. We really love that 12th chapter. So much in there and uh, so much yet to unfold. Now, your assignment for today and the week coming is to read Revelation chapter 13. So if you've been reading along and doing your assignments... Uh, That's what I would suggest that you do. I've been starting each of the messages in this series, and now that we're getting to the halfway point, um, I want to be able to um, throw a few more things out there, just as thought starters, and uh, to get your mental engine uh, warmed up. So some preliminary warm-up questions, and I think uh, as you ponder these, no audible responses, please. Just think about these, and it'll set uh, the platform for what else I want to say this morning. First off, there seems to be a great deal of interest in the book of Revelation and end-time events in our world today amongst believers and non-believers and those that don't know the difference. And for, and for what reason? Why, why do you, what do you think the reason is for this unbelievable interest? Think about that one. Second question I have is, what kind of problems would be solved if there was a one-world government? I I sound like an echo right now after some of the speeches that I've read uh, from this past four or five days. It just blows my mind that we're we're talking about this in certain forums. Uh, Or what kind of problems would be be created if we had what some world leaders are calling for and some religious leaders are calling for, uh, the one world government? And then thirdly, as you think about men, and, and I'm going to ask you to be so open-minded this morning, so no box, not outside the box, no box thinking this morning, uh, that you will not dare to say to yourself in the recess of your own mind, oh, all these things are good, great, and fine, but they never happen here, never happen in America. Please don't fall into that trap. As you think about men in the past who've attempted to become world leaders, what kind of personalities did they generally have? They weren't all the same. They didn't all act the same. Uh, They didn't all perform their duties the same way. And they didn't all end up the same way. But what types of personalities were many of these people? How would you respond to those who think that you should see all religions as equally valid. And I I have to say I'm saddened when I hear Christians talk that way. Born-again believers talk that way. Well, there's some good in every religion. Some good food in my garbage can, too, but I'm not eating lunch there. 
No, no, we have to be more resolute about this. I'm, that wasn't a joke. We, we have to be more convicted of this. We have to be more committed to what we believe and why we believe it. And I think we've kind of been drifting away from that in general in the last couple of decades, and we need to start drifting back to center. And then the fifth question I have is, should we face the future with fear or confidence? Fear or confidence? As we consider who Christ is and what he will do, and how, as it was revealed to John, how it will all play out. Good starters, get your mental hardware and gear, your mind, your heart, your soul can be ready. So I just say, hey, let's dive in. As I said earlier, the movie world seems to be obsessed with the end of the world. Since the mid to late 90s and right around the turn of the millennium, there has been a steady stream of movies coming out of Hollywood around the theme of end time events and actual takeoffs of the book of Revelation. Films like End of Days, Armageddon, Deep Impact, Independence Day, some examples. 444, Last Day on Earth, After the Dark, The Book of Eli, The Darkest Hour, Edge of Tomorrow, Goodbye World, These Final Hours. And if you didn't know, I'll tell you about 50 others just since the year 2010. I'm telling you, it's out there. One series of films that came out a few years ago was called The Omen Trilogy. And those films specifically centered around the Antichrist of the book of Revelation. It wasn't very accurate, but um, it certainly got some people's attention, and that's good. The first film deals with the birth and childhood of the Antichrist. His parents suspected there was something different about this creepy little son, but they find out the awful truth when they discover 666 tattooed on his forehead. Second film was Darian. Uh, Omen 2, it showed him as a teenager and what happened when his identity was revealed to him. How? By satanic agents. Um, Just as a matter of open disclosure, I haven't seen these movies, but the reviews that I've read sound like they would send you to bed with a nightmare waiting to happen. Interesting, there's so much interest out there concerning the end of the world. As late as, well, quite late last night, I was still reading articles on tonight's blood moon. You say, what's that? (laughs) Well, just step outside around 9.30 tonight. Um, What I didn't realize until the, the, the 11th hour was how many sales, retail sales there have been with emergency preparedness business. It is unbelievable. It just propped my eyes wide open. There's so much concern about the end of the world. There's so much concern about the themes of the book of Revelation. In fact, you can almost hear more about the end times in a Hollywood theater than you can in the average church in America. Perhaps that's because we've attempted to avoid sensationalism and hype and getting into all this stuff because it may not be understood by a lot of people. 
And I'm fully convinced that it's not understood by a lot of people, but it needs to be more understood by people who call themselves Christians and who live every day in the Christian church. You need clarity. Some of you have never heard a message on the book of Revelation. Some of you don't have any idea about the end times or, or how it's all going to take place. Or, you know, you've seen the apocalypse, but, <laughs> but you haven't read Revelation with understanding. And now I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just saying there's such, and there's so many preachers won't touch it, won't go near it. Uh, if you're in a church that they're not preaching this stuff and they don't understand it, you might want to look for one that really is true to the word. The problem is there is so much misinformation, and that's all promulgated by the media that's out there. They just keep pushing this stuff, and people get believing it because, quote-unquote, they saw it on TV or read it in the paper. So it must be true, right? Okay. And the problem is it just keeps, it just keeps going in the media, in the various media, and they deliberately are missing the point. That's not by accident. We need to hear and we need to know the truth of what the Bible teaches about the events of the last days. Yeah. And so that's why I say, uh, is this fear on the one hand or confidence on the other hand? And you need to know which emotion ought to be controlling you. And you ought to know why. And so we need to hear and know more of the truth of what the Bible says, although much of what the Bible reveals is wrapped in strange language sometimes. and It's a symbolic language, and we still can understand the realities of what will take place. We just maybe don't understand all that imagery that's in Revelation. That's fine. And though the Bible doesn't give us specific dates, the Bible never gives us a specific date, never tells the details of the events as, as and when and who's going to be involved, it does reveal general events. And that's why, by the way, you don't want to be setting dates. And that's why you don't want to be calling certain people by certain Bible names because the Bible itself doesn't do that. So we, we'll let it play out. The kind of times during which this event takes place are very vividly explained in Revelation. And I know it's hard to, to accept. It's hard to swallow. But it's truth nevertheless. Now, one of the striking revelations about the end times is a person, and by the way, it brings me to my title for, uh, uh, for, for number four here in our series today, whom the Bible calls the man of lawlessness. Now, the Apostle Paul had a lot to say about this person, and he wrote to the Christians uh, in the, letter, the uh, second letter to the Thessalonians, and he speaks of the Antichrist. And he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to read a few verses, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. The Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 2.18, those of you that are note-taking. 
And in his letter, he said, Dear children, this is the last hour. I was, uh, I was struck by that as I read it again for the, I don't know, umpteenth time just a couple of days ago. And I made a little red note up right beside that verse. And I said, wait now. That's John writing 2,000 years ago. <laughs> and John said, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. That's key. This is how we know it is the last hour. So the question that's just burning now in your mind is, then who is this Antichrist? And what is his purpose? And how will he operate? And how will his purpose be fulfilled? Because it will. And what will be his eventual end? What role is he going to fill when you think of all of the events of the last days? Now, there are a lot of things I could point out. I, meant to, I, could, I could go on a rabbit trail here and keep you for hours on a lot of different things that are going to weave in and out of the story of the Antichrist. But generally, let me just bring it down to a point or two. The main purpose of the Antichrist is to acquire power and to turn people away from God and direct worship towards himself. That's the purpose of the Antichrist. Now you say, as I look at history, Bob, and as I look at modern day, the current events of the day, wow, there's some people around the world in various countries, prominent people, that could fit that very description. And, and I don't argue with you. Remember, remember, what John said, there are many antichrists. And I think what he's inferring here is there are many little antichrists. There are many that are going to lead into the antichrist. When the antichrist is revealed, and some other things have to happen before that takes place, you're going to know it. Don't worry, there'll be no doubt that this is the antichrist. Um, someone wrote 100 years ago, Pastor William Hendrickson wrote, that the mark of the beast is the God-opposing, Christ-rejecting, church-persecuting spirit of the Antichrist. Wherever and whenever it shows itself, this mark is impressed on the forehead or the right hand, as in Revelation 13. I'll say more about that in a minute. And the forehead symbolizes the mind, the thought life, and the philosophy of a person. And the right hand indicates his deeds, his actions, his trade, his industry. Therefore, the person receiving the mark of the beast indicates the person who belongs to the company of those who will and do and are already starting to persecute the Christian church. So, who is the Antichrist? What is his role? How will that be fulfilled? Well, here's the way he will try to accomplish what he's set out to do. And I just want to leave three things with you. And as, as I've said already, kind of hinted, I can't believe I'm preaching this message the end of or the start of this particular week after the week we've just had in America and the speeches that some of us have heard. And some people have just gone, oh, gog gaga over those speeches. I got to tell you, you got to read between the lines, folks. Here's how the Antichrist is going to fulfill his purpose. First, he will create a one world Government And right here on our soil in the United States of America, just this past week, that has been suggested. 
Um, remember that it's the Antichrist who will create this. So nobody, I don't believe, could be living on earth today, but I have some serious doubt whether that Antichrist has even arrived yet. But he's against Christ. See, there are a lot of forerunners to the Antichrist who are setting it up, who are against Christ. And if you've read any news in the last year, you know how many, you, you know how many at least the press is saying, you can probably multiply that by 100, how many Christians have been beheaded and are being beheaded every day. Um, and not only in the Middle East, might I say. So he'll create a one-world government. He's against Christ. He's against everyone who belongs to him. He'll be the tool of Satan for corrupting the world and turning people away from God. He will be given power by Satan to accomplish his evil will. And again, the Bible says, and I, as I, I've said so many times in this series, if you don't get anything else out of the series, you're going to get a lot of Bible. And I love saying the Bible says. And I love saying the Lord says. Because Paul, again, in 2 Thessalonians, and, uh, and, and that's just a key chapter of Scripture on this subject. But in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, Paul says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Could it be any clearer? He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Hmm. You see, he is the false Messiah. He is the one who des desires to replace and mock the rule of the true Messiah, who is, who is Jesus Christ. In fact, we have here, in your assignment chapter, Revelation 13, we have an evil trinity. See, everything that God has, Satan has counterfeited. Everything that God's ever done, Satan has tried to replicate. So here in chapter 13 of Revelation, we have an unholy or evil trinity. We have Satan, symbolized by the dragon who's standing on the shore of the sea. We have the Antichrist, symbolized by the beast that comes out of the sea. And we have the false prophet, who's the head of the one world religion, the beast who arises out of the earth and causes people to worship the Antichrist. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. These three unite in a desperate attempt to establish their own government and to overthrow the kingdom of God. But their efforts will ultimately fail. The reason given for the need of a one-world government, and this they've been preaching for a long time, will be that problems like global terrorism, and they were talking about this before there was such a thing, really, as all the way around global terrorism. And make no doubt about this, have no doubts whatsoever, global terrorism is the real, it's really happening. And it's happening globally. And it's happening on all shores in every continent, including ours. So they feel that the problems like global terrorism, and of course they like to talk about it because that makes news, and the news people just like to talk, 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 never say anything, but they just keep talking. Doesn't matter when you flip that switch, they're still talking. And then international conflict can, you see, international uh, conflict can't be controlled by the United States alone. I don't know where we ever got the idea, and it can't by any other nation either. Mr. Putin has a different idea. He's going to come to 
uh, quite a conclusion here before long. We cannot continue to be international police force for the world. The growing problems of our global community will require a united government to handle all these problems. So what happens? And it happened again this week, just a few days ago, in New York at the United Nations. And it's forces that have been largely ineffective because of their limited jurisdiction and the problems the world faces. And that, they say, is going to call for increased authority and military power. But nobody's saying where that's coming from or who's going to head it up. The person who heads that organization will ultimately grow in power. We have a political head in this country right now who is positioning to become the head of that organization through personal charm and increasing use of force. He will disguise his true motives, he's already done that, in the beginning and greatly appeal to the masses. Not just here, because that is insignificant, but around this world. Now, throughout history, there have been many Antichrists who have come. John said that 2,000 years before I did, so we need to believe that. Before the final Antichrist takes his seat of power, we can get some idea of what he'll be like from those who've preceded him. And again, if you'll just allow me, the Bible says in 2 John, verse 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. The Antichrists of the world have always used the same methods. Now, if you know this and can kind of block this one away in your, in your mental uh, uh, chest, it'll, it'll help a lot. The antichrists that precede the real antichrist always use the same methods. First, intimidation, and second, persecution. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets were persecuted and put to death. We don't have to guess at that, we just read the book, right? And in the New Testament, men like John the Baptist and Stephen were put to death. For what? For their faith. During the early life of the church, it was the Caesars of Rome who wanted to dominate the world, and they persecuted the church of God, thinking if they could keep these radicals down and they could silence them, all those other religions, they could, they could control much more easily because they had done it for years and years and years. But these, this Christian group, we just need to dominate them. We need to get them to a place where they surrender. And then finally they got to a place where domination and intimidation is not working. We just need to persecute them. We need to stamp them out. How'd that work? In, in the month of May, 64 AD, a terrible fire broke out in Rome. If you're a history major, you know this. That fire had been deliberately set by the authorities and it raged for six days and seven nights and totally destroyed much of the city. And at the time, most believed that Nero was behind that fire. And historians generally agree, and this is an uncommon thing, that he was the one responsible for seeing that those fires were set. Tacitus, an ancient Roman historian, tells how he shifted the blame away from himself, and then he started blaming the Christians. It was the Christians who set the fire. It was the Christians who burnt Rome. 
Hence, to suppress, Tacitus says, the, the, the rumor, he falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most exquisite tortures the persons commonly called Christians who are hated in the realm for their enormities. Accordingly, first three were convicted, not so much on the charge of burning the city as of hating the human race, And in their deaths, they were also made the subjects of sport. For they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and worried to death by wild dogs. Or nailed to crosses. Or set fire to. And when the day started to decline, they were burned at night to serve as nocturnal lights along the way to the Caesar's residence. They seem not to be cut off for the public good, but victims to the ferocity of one man. That kind of behavior has repeated itself in these two millennia over and over and over and over. Down the quarters of time, there have been others who desired to to dominate the entire world. There have been those who wanted to rid the earth of anyone called a Christian, anyone claiming Jewish heritage, anyone believing the Bible, anyone serving the God that we serve, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea was we put these people completely out, we get rid of them, and we get rid of the church, we get rid of everything they believe in. And we'll dominate the world. Um, The interesting piece of history here that I I kind of um, I kind of enjoy reading is that every one of those people has come and gone. Every one of them faced an ignominious death. Uh, Names like Hitler. And people say, "Oh, he was the worst thing." that ever lived on this earth. No, Hitler wasn't the worst, but he was pretty terrible. Um, I don't know if anybody ever told him that he had Jewish blood running in his veins, but um, it's a very interesting history, that man. Uh, Mussolini. How many have heard of Benito Mussolini? Okay. He had an interesting way of putting people away. Some countries are still doing that. Um, Stalin... Mm-hmm. Mao Zedong. I think in, in the history, or, the, or, the, or since I've been alive, um, things I've read about, uh, about the uh, cruel dictator of Cambodia, uh, Pol Pot, I have to say, I, I think he was the most wicked, evil, sinister, heartless, inhumane dictator, perhaps of all time. Wow. More recently, Saddam Hussein, again, practiced genocide, and Osama bin Laden. A lot of people believe he's dead. Yeah, a lot of people believe he's dead. I'll leave it at that. From these dominating, cruel, and murderous... By the way, you never saw a body. Didn't even see a picture of one. From these dominating, cruel, and murderous personalities, we get a glimpse into the personality of the final Antichrist. 
We have to take these people and their intentions seriously. i got to tell you, Christians, we have to do that or we're going to be swept under the rug. For there'll be others who will desire great power and they'll become like God or God-like, if you will, trying to rule the world and in essence ruling their portion of the world. And the book of Revelation describes all of that. And the book of Revelation describes Antichrist's intent. And I know this is not really happy, 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 happy Sunday for you. And you're not really glad you came this morning. But listen, if you'll stay open and leave your heart, your mind, and your soul open, you just might learn something that will help you. Because, let me just say this, the day is fast approaching. If John said it 2,000 years ago, how much closer would we be today, Bob? I don't know, 2,000 years? Think about this, people. The evil purpose of the Antichrist. What is that evil purpose? Well, let's go to Revelation 13, the chapter that I've been in and out of and over and under and, and have referred you to and want you to read. If you pick up the reading at verse 6, I want to read three verses there. It should be he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So um, here's here's an explanation. He was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given, he was given authority over every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Did you see that? Did you see that? Do you want to die before this happens? (laughs) Do you want Jesus to come? Are you waiting Not for the undertaker, but for the upper taker? Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I'll just give you the little secret. There's no revelation, no revealing, no pinning back the curtain on the Antichrist before the Lord Jesus Christ comes to take the church. Hallelujah. But there are Antichrists that are operating in the world today, and you don't know what it's going to be like. Neither do I. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Even the one sitting in this room that they say, well, not, not me. Mm-hmm. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain. Who is this? Who's the Lamb who was slain? He's your Pascal Lamb. He is your sacrificial Lamb. He's the Lamb of God, John, said, John the Baptist said, who what? Takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So from before time began, that plan was all in place. Boy, am I glad. Boy, am I glad. First, the man of lawlessness will create a one-world government. I could go to seed on that theme. I have chosen not to. Much to your pleasure. The second thing the Antichrist will do, he will, I heard this too, he will, he will create a new world economy. 
Now, if you're sitting here today and think that that's not really going to happen or the, 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 the beginnings of it are not in place and all lined up, can I just say lovingly, you are sadly deluded. Let me explain. This mark, well, let's go back to a verse we heard earlier. We hear so much about the mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast, what do you think of when I say the mark of the beast? Huh? All right, 666. How many agree? How many have heard that term over the years in your life, 666? How many kind of heard it different times but didn't really know what it meant? All right, good. The book of Revelation says, again, back to chapter 13, slipping down to verse 16, he also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, here's the economy, to receive a mark on their right hands, or where? On their foreheads. So that no one, here's the purpose, could do what? Buy or sell, there's economy, unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Now this mark is tied to people's ability to do business, or to buy and sell. It's sort of like an evil Visa card. And I believe it it could even be like a Visa card with three sets of six numbers. I, I don't know. You probably have a Visa card with four sets of four numbers, right? Yeah, no, no, I've never looked at my card. I'm not sure. You don't know your Visa card number? How many could stand up right now and rattle off their Visa card number? Okay. Well, um, in order to have a bank account and be able to buy and sell, in that day you must have the mark of the beast. You will buy nothing, you will sell nothing, you will do nothing in the economic world without it. Oh, but in order to get the mark, you must worship the Antichrist and you must display loyalty to his one world government. Now, what's the proof of loyalty to the Antichrist? Well, receiving the mark. I said it was something like a visa, uh, an evil visa card, but there are two problems with a visa card or any credit card. One is proof of identity. Just because you slap a card down or give it to a clerk or swipe it through a machine, that doesn't mean that you're who that card says you are. And the other is, and some of you have experienced this probably, theft or loss or stolen identity, or whatever. These are all prominent things in our world today. So, how do we solve these problems? How do we get around these issues? Simply, have a small electronic computer smart chip implanted with under the skin, or on the hand, or the forehead, or both. By the way, listen, listen, listen. some countries are already using this. Some are already inserting them into babies. And those some countries include the United States of America. Say, nobody in America has ever had that. Oh, yes, they have. Oh, yes, they have. Retail and grocery stores are already outfitted with scanners, which could read something like that with a very minor upgrade. How many of you have ever heard of laser? 
Okay. After your purchases are rung up, you would simply place your hand in front of the scanner or stand in front of the scanner. See, the world is moving to a cashless society. We're not quite there yet, but we're very, very, very close. Already, some businesses won't accept cash. I like to joke sometimes with clerks and be in a store or something, restaurants, and I say, do you take cash? You know, they kind of chuckle. <clears throat> Someday in the not-too-distant future, paper money will be out of date. They're, they're looking for ways now to completely erase that. Some countries have pretty much done it. The only way you'll be able to purchase something is with this card that will also serve as your identification. Everything about you, every scintilla of information about you is on that card or on that chip or whatever. Sort of like a national ID card. By the way, that's in the works too. I listened to enough debates in the legislature over the years that what was being debated, debated in the state of Maine legislature was also being debated in the majority of states across the nation. Um, this was made a priority because when do you think this really stepped up and became a, a priority in the U.S.? Anybody? Yeah, after the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. How many remember that? Okay. No, 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 we tend to forget. Matter of fact, America today is acting like it never happened. We're acting like, what, what? We got over that. That was... <laughs> So this idea of a national ID card emanated from that. We need to know if people boarding planes are boarding planes, we want to know who they are and are they who they say they are. In 2002, Frank Pellegrini wrote this for Time magazine, and i I got to tell you, anyway, this is a quote. It's not my words, but Frank Pellegrini, who's a writer for Time magazine, wrote this. 2002. He said, the Department of Transportation, acting on instructions from Congress, you know we're going downhill now, has begun work with states to develop electronically smarter driver's licenses that can be checked for validity across the country and that have more than just that always awful picture. I don't ever want to look like the picture of my driver's license, but I'd love to be the weight it says. <laughs> How many agree? Yeah. You lied too, huh? Uh, so, yeah. So, the records they keep on you across state lines with some extra on-card security measures thrown in. The plan means that a state trooper in California would be able to pull the records of a driver from, pick a state, Georgia, Kansas, Maine, I don't care, and be certain that those records were the drivers and not an innocent look-alike that he stole the card from, and the smarter cards hardened with biometric data would make identity theft much trickier, at least in person. I know Georgia and some other states have, um, have gone to thumbprints on the driver's license and so on. What if your state national ID card and your credit card and your HMO card and your work ID card and the passkey to your maximum security uh, apartment and all those things that you have cards and keys and, and special entrances for all at once were put on one card or chip? Imagine the possibilities. Already you can be traced across the country. If you don't think the government knows where you're sitting right this very minute and what you did this last week, 
Well, I won't tell you because it would ruin the rest of your weekend, but of course they do. And they can trace you in a minute. When you use your credit card, and they, they can know everything you purchased from Boston to Los Angeles and all the way home. What if your national ID card was also your phone card? What if it was also your insurance card? What if it was also your library card? What if it was also your, 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 your health insurance card? Listen closely, my friends. A one-world economy means this, that there will someday very soon be a world, I hope I'm not scaring you to death, but I hope I'm scaring you to reality, a world ID card, and there will be nothing you can do without it. Say, well, they'll never find me. They'll find you and they'll find me. They can't find 20 million illegals that are in this country, but they'll find you and me. Yeah. By the way, I hope your heart was all broken for that little girl that ran out to meet the Pope procession the other day. That's been planned for over a year by a group of illegals who are in this country, and she's a child of an illegal. That was all postured. We just take things at face value and say, oh, well, that's the way they are. You need to learn to ask why. How'd that happen? This is what the mark of the beast will be like. That's going to tell you there is a new world economy, and we're part of it. And the purpose of the one world economy is, again, to draw everything together. Like certain states' driver's license, it can contain, these cards can contain your, as I said, your thumbprint. They can do a retinal scan. Uh, they're doing that in some places. The purpose of the Antichrist is to control the world and all the people in it. And it's the antithesis of how God operates. For God gives freedom. With justice, liberty, and justice for all. God gives freedom. God gives liberty. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, Paul said this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Other translations say there is liberty. Wow. See, direct opposite, just the antithesis of how God operates is how the Antichrist operates. God gives us freedom. The devil wants to take that and then control us and eventually bring us into bondage. He knows for Christians he's already lost the battle. When we die, we're going to heaven and there's nothing he can do about it and he'll never see inside of heaven, but he's going to make it as miserable as he can while we're enjoying the trip. This idea of come to Christ and everything will be great and you'll never have another problem and you'll just keep smiling and you won't even be able to wipe it off with... I mean, you just won't be able to. It'll just... Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not against the joy of the Lord. I'm not against happiness in Christ. I'm not against rejoicing and celebrating what we have in Christ and knowing who He is and what He means and what He does for us. I'm not against any of that. Some of you, a few of you know me and you know that very well. But I'm saying... The truth of the matter is the devil is a defeated foe. And so going down, he's going to drag as many people into misery as he can, including Christians. Let's leave it at that. We're in bondage. We've got to get out now. Number two, he will create a one-world economy. And the third thing the Antichrist will do, this is how he will fulfill his purpose. He will create a one-world religion. 
I don't know what I do, but I don't understand it. These top-level detente meetings that are being held around the world between, between leaders of, of the Roman Catholic Church and the Muslims' faith. And then a lot of Bible-believing, born-again people are even getting involved in some of these conferences and, and, and just more confusion. Increasingly, hello, religion will be seen as one of the increasingly one of the major sources of conflict in the world. Do you know what's driving all this stuff in the Middle East right now? Do you know what's driving all this ISIS stuff? Do you know what's driving all this stuff in Syria and Iraq and and Folks, the root is religion. This is a family feud that's been going on for 6,000 years, and it's still going on. You say, what's the resolution? Hate to be a downer, but there is no resolution as long as people think, I'll get my way by killing all the people who don't agree with me. And I don't care whether you're a Muslim or a, a Jew or a Christian or what. If you have that attitude, you're not going to ever solve the problem. Even today in Africa, in the Middle East, talk about a continent that's torn apart. That makes the Middle East look like a Sunday school picnic. In many other areas of the world, religious differences seem to contribute to the conflicts raging in the world. As we march toward the end... There will be a growing call to unite all religions into one under the guise of attempting to bring peace and to unite the world. Tremendous pressure will be brought to bear on Christians to capitulate their beliefs and their, and, and, and their values. Our values, Christian brother, Christian sister, are under constant attack even as I speak this morning. Yes, no. Yes. Everywhere you turn, even the people to whom you would turn for solid advice and confidential. I'm telling you, our values are being stripped and taken from us. This whole idea of pluralism, well, well, I'll just put us all in a big kettle and we'll all just, we'll just get along and do our thing. Pluralism, that's what it's called. It's the idea that there are many ways to think of God. And the only thing that's different about us is our labels. I don't even wish that were true. <laughs> hmm. Yep. Many ways to think of God, and only our labels are different. It says that no one has the right to exclusive truth claims. But the Bible, in speaking about Jesus, says this in Acts 4.12. Salvation, let's read it together. Salvation is found in no one else. Underline that in your Bible. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we... By which we... 
I appeal to your superior intellect. Could it be any clearer? Could it? There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I call that clear stuff. You couldn't misconstrue that if you tried. We cannot give up the truth in order to get along. Christian church, we cannot give up the truth in order to get along. We must respect everyone and respect we ought to. And, and we must recognize they have the right in this country to believe anything they wish to believe. But we can't give up what we believe. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, he said there is one God and one mediator. There's one God, not two, three, four, six, or ten. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and mankind. And who's that? The man Christ Jesus. I appeal to your superior intellect. Could it be any clearer? Could anybody confuse that? I mean, I don't think you could confuse that if you tried. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and man. And that's the man Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I know him. Do you know him? To say that the God we worship is the same God as Allah, Krishna, Buddha, or any other God is ludicrous. And it's a denial of the true faith. Let's just call it what it is. It's the truth faith. Yeah. When Nero was the Caesar of the Roman Empire, he allowed the Christians and people of other religions to continue to practice their faith, whatever it was. Only one stipulation came with that. You also had to come once a year and bow in worship before his image and make an offering. Rest of the year, you could practice whatever you wanted to practice. By worshiping before the statue of Nero and placing an offering there, you were showing your allegiance, your loyalty to Caesar. If you refused to pledge your allegiance to the government in this way, you paid with your life, and many, 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 many Christians in those early centuries did just that. And I firmly believe that's one of the reasons we're here today is that the word of God and the gospel message was preserved. This will likely be the scenario in the last days. I would say we're seeing a foreshadow of that. At least in the beginning, the Antichrist will appear to be a great leader, very charismatic, may permit people to practice their own religion. Oh, everything just, you know, go along to get along. As long as they recognize all religions are equal, and all religions, at least once a year, must come and worship him. But what happens when your religion doesn't permit you to have other gods? And here's again what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. He said, uh, our faith, I mean, for us, there's but one God. I, I, I don't know why we confuse this, but for us, there's but one God. Not two, not three, not possibly a, a combination 
Paul said, but for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things come and for whom we live, and there's but one Lord, and who's that? Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. See, our faith doesn't permit us to worship Jesus Christ plus someone. It doesn't permit us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation plus something else. How would you know if you had enough of something else or somebody else? Our love and worship of him is exclusive. We cannot compromise at this point, and this is the very thing that Satan understands. He knows it better than we do. And that loyalty to Christ drives Satan mad and keeps him on the front line of attack. So this Antichrist has the power of Satan behind him, and he endeavors to rule and wants to rule the world through fear and intimidation. But his doom is absolute. It's sure. Our confidence is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. The hymn writer wrote, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Are you on the rock? Are you on the rock? The fate of the Antichrist is already spelled out in Scripture. I read the back of the book. We win. And it says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Isn't that beautiful? Beauty and power right there. This confidence is reflected in the great hymn, one of the great, it's called the Reformation Hymn. Not sure if that's accurate or not, but a mighty fortress is our God. These stellar words, for those of you who remember and those of you who care, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Hallelujah. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. I give glory to God. Yeah, we have to face the facts that soon and very soon there's a one world government going to be snapped into place. Soon and very soon we'll be all be living under a one world economy and not as if that were, were not bad enough, we'll add insult to injury by having a one-world religion. All this, yep, from the man of lawlessness. My question for the day is this. Who is on the Lord's side? Who? is on the Lord's side. Could I pray with you?
Now I want to say, just understanding what's happening in your world, understanding the events that are taking place in your world, go a long way to helping you understand what's being said in the great book of Revelation. In just a moment, I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to ask that if you're here this morning and you're unsure whose side you're on, you're unsure how it's all going to unfold, you're unsure where you're going to be when it does unfold or how it's going to affect you, you say, Bob, I'd like to take that first step towards God. I'd, I'd like to start moving in faith towards Him. Then I'm going to ask you to just take that Connect card that's in the seat near you, and if you just put your name on it and, and, and simply write something like, I want to know more about being on the Lord's side. I want to take that first step. I want to know that I'm his and he's mine. Please, please help me with that. And the answer to that is, yes, we will. And yes, I'd be glad to talk to anybody regarding what we've studied this morning as we pray. Heavenly Father... Thank you for your grace, and thank you for your love. Thank you that all of that, your kindness, your forgiveness, your grace, your love, your mercy, that all supersedes whatever the Antichrist or Antichrist can throw at us and can throw at your church, because you are the victor, and in you is the victory. We thank you for that this morning, and we praise you. And now, Lord, we just ask that if there's even one here today that has a, a sh just any doubt whatsoever, an inkling of doubt, that that precious soul would be willing to take that first step toward God and come in faith and trust the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal salvation. And we thank you for those who are here today who name the name of Christ and who are proud to be called Christians and members of your body, give us strength. Give us, give us the ability to understand what's happening around us. Give us the ability to appreciate it before it's stripped away from us. And help us to be the kind of representatives for you that we need so desperately to be today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all that you do in us, for us, and through us, by the power and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people said.